We continue to hear that we have a climate crisis on our hands. If that is the case, my friends, then I propose we have an even more pressing crisis on our hands as well, one of faith. That's what we're talking about today on Cross Defense. So grab your Bibles. It's time to equip the mind, excite the imagination, and comfort the soul. Let's get into it. Hey, 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 welcome back to Cross the Fence. I'm your host, the Reverend Tyrell Bramwell, pastor of St. Mark Lutheran Church in Ferndale, California, online at stmarksferndale.com. That's S-T-M-A-R-K-S, ferndale.com. And that's where you can go to reach out to me if something in today's show or any of the previous shows sparks a thought in your brain, in that brain bucket of yours. If you have something you'd like to reach out to me with, a comment, question, statement, a hypothesis, a model of data, as we'll get into later. Oh, well, you can do that at stmarksferndale.com, S-T-M-A-R-K-S, ferndale.com. Go to the contact page. That's the best way to reach out to me. Now, today we're talking about this question. We're asking a question. What kind of crisis are we really facing? What's the greater crisis, perhaps? So we hear a lot about the impending climate crisis, climate emergency. And if we're really facing such a global threat, a planetary, cataclysmic, apocalyptic threat, if droughts and floods and fires and cataclysmic storms have truly spiked in these last 18 months, as we're being told they have, well then, my friends, I propose to you that we are not only experiencing a climate crisis, a climate emergency, but we are also experiencing a crisis of faith among self-professing Christians, a crisis that needs to be addressed post-haste, that needs to be talked about, discussed, and dealt with for the sake of our neighbors, for the sake of their eternal salvation. It is that pressing. The climate crisis threatens our temporal existence. A crisis of faith threatens one's eternal existence. It is a matter of heaven or hell, eternal life, or eternal death. Now let's say, for the sake of argument, that we are indeed facing a global climate threat. Let's grant that a cataclysmic disaster of as we say, biblical proportions, is looming on the horizon. This is, after all, what we're teaching our children in school, isn't it? This is why the Inflation Reduction Act that recently passed by the Democrats includes $375 billion earmarked to address climate change initiatives. This is why Greta Thunberg keeps getting nominated for a Nobel Prize. This is why Dutch farmers are protesting against government-mandated emission cuts that threaten their livelihoods. It's why Dodge is discontinuing the V8-powered line of muscle cars, the Chargers and Challengers, at the end of 2023. 
It's why we're seeing a push for green energy, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, ad infinitum. I'm sure you could add all kinds of other examples, couldn't you? So let's say that there is a legitimate crisis of climate, climate crisis, threatening our planet. What does that say about the 69% of Americans who claim to be Christians? At least that's what it is according to a Gallup poll taken in December 2021. If we truly believe, we have to act now to avoid a global catastrophe. Why aren't more Christians in church? Why aren't more Christians repenting of their waywardness, living in sin, acting as if God isn't really out there, acting as if God is some distant deity, far away, far removed, and not right here with us where he has promised to be, who hasn't given us his word and revealed his will for our lives. Now, we used to call climate change global warming, remember, not too long ago. And the talking heads are still focused on the rising temperatures of the planet. Fear is being stoked because it's hotter outside. We're told to look at wildfires as evidence of what's to come. Everything will burn, they say. Rising sea levels are always a prime concern. Lake Mead is at record lows. (laughs) The mob is worrying whether the bodies they ditch there are going to get them in trouble. I don't know about that. Okay, so let's, let's start looking then at this seriously. If this is the case, if this is where we're going, we're spending $375 billion on this. If this is the reality, let's open up our Bibles. Let's get into this. 2 Peter 3, go there with me, 2 Peter 3. We're going to go to uh, verse 5, starting at the second half of verse 5. I know it's getting kind of complicated for you, but open your Bible, 2 Peter chapter 3, go to verse 5, and follow along as we look at the second verse, second half of that verse. The earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God, and that by means of these... The world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. What's this about already? What are we talking about in this text? What's what's St. Peter addressing in this text? Talking about the water and the deluge and the world that existed and how it perished. Noah's flood, right? This is Noah's flood, which already tells us the earth has faced a global climate threat in the past, hasn't it? A global threat of a flood. Starting at verse 7, picking up at verse 7, I should say, but by the same word, the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. Stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment. Fire. When you hear of the wildfires and the rising temperatures, what do you think about first? Where does your mind go? Do you say to yourself, what can I do to save my life? Because the political leaders say the world will end in 12 years if we don't reduce farting cows and 
don't start buying electric lawnmowers? If everyone doesn't drive a Prius or a Tesla or something like this? Or do you think to yourself, well, Holy Scripture tells me that fire will be the means the Lord uses to destroy the ungodly, just like he used water the first time, and now we have the rainbow. He will not destroy the world that way again. Well, he does say fire is going to be the means next time. The end may be near. I should, I should probably go to church. I should probably take care of my soul. <laughs> okay, so mark your place in 2 Peter, and let's jump over to Luke 12, 13 to 40. 12, 13 to 40. Starting in verse 13, someone in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But Jesus said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbiter over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do, for I have nowhere to store up my crops? And then he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have Ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Dear listener, do you see the connection? To our question, climate crisis or faith crisis, which one's the greater deal, the bigger deal, more pressing? Our civilization is focusing a lot of energy on the temporal preparations we are to take to save ourselves from a global catastrophe, earthly goods earthly actions. Don't buy the gas guzzler. Buy the electric. Save your energy. Turn off your lights from four to nine. These sorts of things. What about church? What about being in scripture? Learning what God says? What about gathering at the Lord's table to receive his body and blood for the forgiveness of your sins? In preparation for Judgment Day. What's most important to us? Our priorities reveal quite a lot about our beliefs, don't they? Don't they? Our actions defy our heart. Luke 12, 22, and he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. 
For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn. And yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Oh, I hope this brings you comfort, dear listener. We're hearing so much about this climate threat. So much fear-mongering. I hope this brings you comfort. Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat, and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek His kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags and do not grow old, that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys, where climate change is not a crisis. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Verse 35 Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. And be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table and he will come and serve them. If he comes in the second watch, or in the third, and finds them awake. Blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. See, this is how the Christian should be approaching talk of a global climate threat, a climate crisis, a climate emergency, alert and ready for Christ's coming. That's where the Christian's priority takes him. 
Okay, I'm hearing all this talk, all this talk, all this language coming from all the the political uh, leaders and and the media talking heads, all the the opinion pieces and all this stuff. I'm I'm seeing the companies changing their their marketing strategies. I'm seeing a shift happening. If this must be real, if this is what they're saying, I am going to start by going to church. I am going to start by making sure I am alert and ready for Christ's coming, the parousia of my Lord. This is what we want to see in the church. This is faithful Christian behavior in the threat of a in the face of a global threat. And this is what we were trucking toward <laughs> in Second uh, Peter chapter three. So let's go back there. I hope you still had one hand in your Bible in 2 Peter chapter 3. We are going back there right now, starting at verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction, as they do the other scriptures. You, therefore, you, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace of and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Let's leave it right there. Take a break, and when we get back, we'll talk more about our question. Are we facing a climate crisis or a faith crisis? Or both? We'll be right back. The life of the Christian church is a life in exile. We are grieved by various trials. False teachers and their deceptive teachings wage war against the truth. How can we believe and live as faithful and joyful Christians while we sojourn here? This is Pastor Timothy Apple, host of Sharper Iron. We're starting a new series, The Imperishable Inheritance. We will be going through 1 Peter, 2 Peter, and Jude. Join us every weekday morning at 8 on KFUO to rejoice in the imperishable inheritance that is ours in Christ Jesus. Okay, so granting that there is a climate crisis, where should we find Christians? Should we find them in God's Word? I would hope so. How about in church? Yes. 
at the baptismal font with their children, with their, their unbelieving or now newly converted friends and family members? Yes. At the Lord's Supper? Of course. In Bible study? Absolutely. At your congregation's potluck? Uh-huh. Absolutely. And at every other opportunity for fellowship with the family of faith, among other Christians, helping them to be on guard against the error of lawless people who twist the truth, guarding your own heart by surrounding yourself with like-minded Christians who take everything back to God's word. We should be found, Christians should be found, keeping ourselves from falling asleep, caught unaware and unprepared for the Lord's return. This, this is where we should always find Christians, not just in the face of a global threat, a climate threat, but every single day, no matter what's going on in the world. If a person calls himself a Christian, and apparently at the end of 2021, 69% of Americans did that, do that, then his or her life, the Christian's life, ought to look a certain way, shouldn't it? Christianity is a lifestyle, isn't it? It's supposed to be. It's not just, oh yeah, I'm a Christian, and then you never live out your Christian faith. There are tenets, there are actions, there are commandments, there are faith-based, gospel-motivated activities that go on with being a Christian. First and foremost, being in God's Word, where Jesus has promised to give it to us, receiving the, the grace of God through the means by which he promised to give that grace. I'm speaking of the preaching of the word and the administration of the sacraments, baptism and communion. At a very minimum, we should be engaged in those things, receiving those things, not resisting and rejecting those things. Turn your Bibles, if you would, please, to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, starting at verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Hold fast to that confession. That means, you know, engaged in it, clinging to it. For he who promised, that is Christ, is faithful. And let us, verse 24, consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. That's what this whole show is about. That's what the whole Christian life is about, stirring up our neighbor to love and good works. Not good works that merit salvation. That's not the case. Jesus' works do that. Good works that bring Jesus to your neighbor, that let the unbelieving world see Christ in action. Good works that are consistent with faith in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Faith in the incarnation of God and the crucifixion of Jesus, God in the flesh, for our salvation. Verse 25, not neglecting, not neglecting to meet together in church, assembling, gathering, meeting together, as is the habit of some, even already then. Hebrews chapter 10, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. See, we're, we're to meet together all the time. All the time. Week in, week out. And all the more when we see evidence of the day drawing near. The day. What is that? That's judgment day. The last day. 
the day of Christ's return. And since I know you're an engaged theologian, you cross-defense maniacs out there, you've already made the connection between that day and the climate crisis we keep hearing about, haven't you? As the United Nations describes the climate crisis, the consequence of climate change now include, I'm quoting here, among others, intense droughts, water scarcity. I always thought you know, scarcity of water would be defined as a drought, but okay, apparently they're different things. Severe fires, rising sea levels, flooding, melting polar ice, catastrophic storms, and declining biodiversity. Doesn't that sound at least vaguely sort of like Christ's description of the earth's condition prior to his return? Luke 21, 25 to 28. And there will be signs in sun and moon and stars. And note this, on the earth, distress of nations in perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves, people fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the earth, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now, when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. <laughs> oh, such a good thing. I love scripture. Don't you love scripture? It just fires me up, excites the imagination, equips the mind, comforts the soul. It's cross defense, baby. Isn't all this sky is falling rhetoric, chicken little stuff? All this climate emergency stuff we're hearing about, isn't it kind of at least a little bit akin to what Jesus said about the distress of nations? in perplexity because of the roaring sea and the waves, people fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world. When I hear people in a panic over rising sea levels, well, my mind goes to this passage, this one right here. Jesus' words about people despairing over the roaring sea and the waves. That's part of the indicator of what's going on. People are panicking. Why? Because we can't control the climate. We can't control the sun and the moon and the rising seas. We can't control that stuff. God can. And so we're panicking. So although there are good reasons not to put too much stock in the perplexity of nations who do not know the one from above, Jesus, God, and are caught up in earth-measuring sciences, for the sake of argument, for today's show, let's keep going down this road. Okay, so cataclysmic disaster is coming. Why aren't self-confessing Christians packing the churches? This is the question. We're willing to take all this action to avert our doom, but we're not simultaneously acknowledging what Scripture says to do when faced with changes in atmospheric meteorological and environmental norms? We're not straightening up and raising our heads in anticipation of the hour of our redemption? Do you see the hypocrisy? What does this say? If not, 
that the crisis we're facing isn't so much one of climate, I'm speaking for the church, to the church, but one of faith. Which is the more pressing crisis? Now, I hope your Bibles are still open. Let's go to Luke 21. I think that's where we left off, Luke 21, 28. Let's continue with verse 29. And he, Jesus, told them a parable. Look at the fig tree. Look over there at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they come out in leaf, you see for yourselves and know that the summer is already near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass, pass away until it all has taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Now 34, here we go. But watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life, and that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. So, either we really don't think there's a climate crisis or we don't really think the kingdom of God is near. Or, a third option, the two, climate crisis and faith crisis are intrinsically connected and the godless presuppositions that are used to drive the fever pitch concerns over the climate crisis are the same godless biases that have killed what should be an active and engaged faith in God. Now, if you listened to last week's episode about the adoptionist heresy, you may remember how the treatise in Eusebius describes those heretics. Abandoning the Holy Scripture of God, they study geometry. Remember? Remember we were talking about that? Earth measurement. Geo as in earth as in geography, and metry, measurement, as in metrics. For they are from the earth and speak of the earth and do not know the one who comes from above, Christ, our Lord and Savior. Now, I'm inclined to think we have the very same thing going on with climate change alarmists. People who are from the earth that is, non-Christians or heretical Christians, speaking of the earth because they do not know the one who comes from above. They reject Jesus, and so their words break down the faith of Christians as we're pulled into their worldliness. What did St. Peter say in his second letter, chapter 3, verse 17? Do you remember? Lawless people will use their erroneous views, twisted and disturbed views, to try to carry away Christians from their stability in God's Word. All the godless are capable of, 
is earth measurement. <laughs> it's geometry. That's all they can do is geometry, math. All they can do is measure stuff that's temporal, earthly. And this is really what's going on, my friends. The climate concerns that we're hearing so much about that are, that are shaping so much of our world, they're driven by computer models. Models. What's a model? Well, it's what scientists call hypothesis. Uh, these models are hypotheses. They're not facts. They're projections. They're models. Computers are doing math based on inputted data and coming up with earthbound temporal projections. These computers can't factor in faith, can't factor in the divine, can't factor in eternal data points. And we can't even input all accurate data points. Our measurements of weather phenomenon and meteorolo meteorological events, yeah, I can find my tongue today, these, these things only go back to the 1880s with any consistency. We have a few sporadic you know, weather measurements before that, but nothing on any sort of wide scale, widespread scale where we can make accurate measurements. So these models that are driving all of this, they're not even accurate with any sort of long-term consistency. We can only go back to the 1880s, although the Earth's been around a lot longer than just this last couple hundred years hundred and some odd years, models, math, hypotheses, projections, geometry. <laughs> oh, there's nothing new under the sun. Let's see here. California Senator Mark, Mike McGuire. I always want to say Mark McGuire. Any baseball fans out there? Uh, but no, Senator Mike McGuire of Senate District 2, that's my district up here in Humboldt County, authored a bill, SCR 53. And here are some of the whereases and the, and the final resolve. I want to point this out to you with this idea of those who are doing math, earth-based measurements without factoring in God's word. Here's what we get. Whereas the consequences of climate change are so great that they are causing multiple crises, crises across the globe. And whereas in November 2019, more than 11,000 scientists from around the world declared that we are in a climate emergency... And whereas 97% of scientists agree that climate change is real and human-induced, I would really love to get some actual, somebody with knowledge on those two figures, 11,000 scientists and 97% of scientists. And whereas, according to the United Nations, global temperatures are expected to rise as much as 5.8 degrees Fahrenheit by the end. See, expected to rise. Projections. Math. By the end of the century, and temperatures have risen, according to the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, one to two degrees in the United States over the last 50 years, and whereas global emissions of greenhouse gases must begin to fall by 7.6% each year beginning in 2020 in order to meet the most ambitious goals of the Paris Agreement to the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change at the United Nations Climate Change Conference, and whereas... During the COVID-19 pandemic, now this is interesting, of 2020, the state of California demonstrated a remarkable capacity to protect human health in the face of a crisis based on early and preventative actions in response to evidence and warming, warnings 
issued by scientists, and whereas we must apply those lessons by heeding to scientific expertise and planning for the future in order to protect our communities from the similarly devastating effects of climate change. See the link between COVID and climate change? Whoa, that's dangerous. Therefore, be it resolved, he says, by the Senate of the State of California, the assembly thereof concurring that the legislature declares that the climate emergency threatens the state, the nation, the planet, the natural world, and all of humanity. Now, you've heard the popular dictum that we must follow the science. Well, this, my friend, is what that looks like in politics. We're going to leave it right there. We'll take a break. We'll be back for our final segment of the show. Don't go away. We've got much more to say about this and the whole question of climate crisis, faith crisis, both? Who knows? All right. We'll be right back. Each weekday on The Coffee Hour with Andy and Sarah, we share and discuss stories of Living Boldly Lutheran. Including missionary updates, mercy work, events and topics applicable to your daily vocations, and maybe some fresh dark roast. The Coffee Hour weekdays at 9 a.m. on KFUO, underwritten by Concordia University, Wisconsin. Have you heard that popular dictum that we must follow the science? I hear it all the time. Maybe it's just me, but I'm, I'm hearing it all the time. And this is what that looks like when we start to see political movers and shakers implementing law, legislation, policies based on science, hypotheses based on math, computer models with projections that are fallible. But the science in question much like the geometry of the adoptionists, it isn't normed by God's revealed word, is it? No. It's all based on secular scientific models. Now, some Christians are ready to disregard a pastor's words on this topic, on, on climate change. They're ready to disregard the church's guidance, not out of any sort of intended disrespect or or aversion to, you know, they're not avoiding their pastor's guidance on this. They're just, they're just not really, really to heed it. They'd rather heed the, like Senator McGuire says, heed the, the wisdom of the scientists. Because they think that climate change is a topic that is best informed by scientists working in their respective fields. I get that. I understand that thought. Darwinian evolution has been very successful at separating our thoughts of science from religion, faith. Whereas up to that point, up to the Enlightenment, the church led the way in scientific discovery by factoring in our knowledge of the world, what we can know and discern by looking at God's creation, factoring that into what God's revealed special revelation of his word says about his creation. When the two are in harmony, we get a lot farther down the road than when we divide them. But this approach of the Christian who doesn't want to hear a pastor's 
words on climate change, doesn't really take them as authoritative, doesn't really want to listen to the, a faithful church's guidance on this. It, this approach reveals, perhaps, at best, a deficiency of one's knowledge of Scripture. Just, the person doesn't know, perhaps, that Scripture speaks to the climate, to creation. Well, Scripture is all about the Creator and what He has done to redeem the chief part of His creation, the, the pinnacle of His creation, man. So in that sense, Scripture is all about creation, but maybe that person doesn't know that. Or perhaps, at worst, it reveals one's practical disbelief in our omniscient, omnipotent, and omnipresent God who inspired His inerrant Word to be written for our instruction and for our comfort. And, and that same God has called and sent His pastors to speak His Word to His people about things that cause fear and fainting and foreboding to bring them peace in the face of even climate crisis. We've already looked at a number of texts, mainly dealing with the end of time, but because they deal with the Lord's coming, they, they deal with signs changing, the changes of the environmental phenomenon that will come with that, showing God's Word deals with creation and the changes in nature's norms. But I want to give you some more. I want to deliver as much as I can in the hour we have. So here's here's some more. Go to Jeremiah 5, 21 to 24. Here we read this from the Lord. Hear this, O foolish and senseless people. I gotta let's just stop right there. I love, I love the way the Lord speaks to us. In our politically correct and overly sensitive snowflake world, we we have a hard time speaking this directly. Foolish and senseless people. Well, that's exactly what we are if we're not repentant of our sin and putting our trust in God as we're about to see from this text. So he says, Hear this, O foolish and senseless people who have eyes but see not, who have ears but hear not. And now you're already thinking about how Jesus says, right? He who has eyes to see and ears to hear. We hear that over and over. That is the idea. If we are being guided by God's Word, if the Holy Spirit is opening our eyes to see the spiritual, eternal realities, we are looking beyond earthly-bound measurements, temporal measurements, these sciences that are, that are unable to see eternal things. Hear this, O foolish and senseless people, who have eyes to see but see not, and who have ears but hear not. Verse 22, Do you not fear me? declares the Lord. Do you not tremble before me? I placed the sand as the boundary for the sea, a perpetual barrier that it cannot pass. Though the waves toss, they cannot prevail. Though they roar, they cannot pass over it. I hope you're hearing that in terms of this conversation today, my friends. All this language of the roaring seas and the fears of the rising sea levels and all this kind of stuff. Who created it? God. Verse 23, but this people has a stubborn 
and rebellious heart. They have turned aside and gone away. They do not say in their hearts, Let us fear the Lord our God, who gives the rain in its season, the autumn rain and the spring rain, and keeps for us the weeks appointed for the harvest. Should we be afraid of a climate crisis? Well, no. (laughs) When we see the signs of the end, we are not to fear as Christians. We're supposed to cling to God, run to the cross, go to the Lord's house, hear his word, his reminder that everything is okay in Christ. Be at peace. Rejoice that the day of redemption is drawing near. Should we be afraid of a crisis of faith? Absolutely. We should fear having eyes that cannot see and ears that do not hear. We should fear growing so cold and hard-hearted that we do not fear the Lord our God, that we do not tremble before Him, that we are stubborn and rebellious at heart. That should be our concern. And that should be our concern for our neighbors as we think about their eternal salvation, their well-being, as we think about the Great Commission, what we're here to do, to confess Christ before the world, that none should perish, but all should reach repentance. Psalm 74, 12 to 17, says something very similar as well. Yet God, my King, is from old, working salvation in the midst of the earth. You divided the sea by your might. You broke the heads of the sea monsters on the waters. You crushed the heads of Leviathan. You gave him as food for the creatures of the wilderness. You split open springs and brooks. You dried up ever-flowing streams. Yours is the day. Yours also the night. You have established the heavenly lights and the sun. You have fixed all the boundaries of the earth. You have made summer and winter. Who's in charge? Man or God? Who created the universe? Who has the ability to affect its changes? God or scientists? Well, perhaps man can make some changes. Of course, we can make some changes, but who's the one who can change things and dry up springs of of water, can make water flow? Who's the one that can do all these things? The one who created it, our creator, God can. Job 38 speaks to this too. In the dialogue between God and Job, and where were you when I created the earth? When I stored up these things and set them loose and, and, and made the boundaries and all this stuff, where were you, he asks Job. We hear it also in the covenant that God speaks to Noah in Genesis 8.22. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. God's in charge of these things. This was right after the global flood, an extreme rising of sea levels. This was right after the destruction of the world as the world knew it at that time. God said, after that, 
the earth remains. The seasons and the summers and the days and everything's going to work as it should all the way up until the end. If we want to follow the science, we should do so understanding what that Latinate word means. Science is from the Latin, from scientia. And it means knowledge. God's word is the norming revelation of knowledge that informs all knowledge, all science. Long before there were scientists working for the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, N-O-A-A, NOAA, there was N-O-A-H, NOAA. And you know that's an intentional reference. How did he face this first NOAA, the global climate emergency of the worldwide flood? Well, he followed the word of God. And where did he find himself? With his family and the safety of the ark. Noah followed God's word. His contemporaries followed the known God-denying science of their day. Who survived? (laughs) Yeah, you know. So again, our question of the day, are we facing a climate crisis, perhaps, or a crisis of faith? That's the most pressing issue. Whose word do we believe? That of 11,000 fallible scientists or that of our infallible God? The error of lawless mathematicians with their computer models and politicians telling us the world will end in 12 years if we don't build bigger barns? Or our pastors who say, tonight your soul is required of you. Speaking God's word to us. It's interesting. Unrepentant man always follows the science. The pendulum may swing in how man's knowledge rejects God's revealed knowledge, but it's the same old thing all the time. Let's go back to 2 Peter chapter 3. We've been there before today. See, verse 1, starting at the very beginning of chapter 3 in 2 Peter. This is now the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming, Christ's coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlooked this fact that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. And that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged, flooded with water, and perished. Here the world is saying, Jesus will never come back. They're they're speaking like Noah's contemporaries did, aren't they? There's no climate emergency. All things will always be the same. Which is how many self-professed Christians are living today, isn't it? Even in the face of a so-called climate emergency. So it doesn't matter which way the science swings, one side of the pendulum or the other. It's At the end of the day, it's about whose word are you following, God's or man's? What kind of knowledge? The knowledge of the omniscient, omniscience one, or the words of man's science, man's knowledge? 
Verse 7, But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. Now, we've already looked at Jesus' words about his return in Luke 21, 25 to 36, writing on the parallel verses in Matthew 24. Linsky, R.C.H. Linsky, references this second Peter reading, commenting, this is great, that the tribes of man despise Jesus and dismiss his coming. He says that they ruled out the coming world cataclysm by their science, by their knowledge. Why? Because they rejected Jesus. Everything comes back to Jesus. Do you believe or reject Jesus? It's not good to follow the science, my friend. We are to follow Christ. Are you a disciple of scientists, of the science, or are you a disciple of Christ? I know it sounds obvious, but the more the scientists demand our discipleship, the more we need to be reminded, as Peter reminded us, that their way as it is today, denies God's existence and assumes to present hypotheses as if they were God-given truth. As Francis Pieper rightly says, love that guy, men who presume to correct God's record of the creation through conclusions drawn from the present condition of the world are playing the role of scientific wiseacres. <laughs> a procedure unworthy of Christians as well as men in general. Oh, you can go to Christian Dogmatics Volume 1 for that. That's good stuff. What's the more pressing emergency? Honestly, climate change or the lack of faith on display among confessing Christians? We are to live in readiness for our Lord's return. Is that how you are living? Are your friends and family members, your neighbors of all stripes, are they living in readiness for the Lord's return? Perhaps some of the, the Bible verses we looked at today will help you help them live their faith, not hypocritically, but with Christian integrity and consistency, submitting to God's word, that all would reach repentance. None would perish when the Lord returns. Well, that's all the time we have for today. It goes by so fast. If Cross Defense is a valuable resource for you and yours, dear listener, give the show a five-star review in whatever podcast app you're listening to it on and share this episode with a friend. Until next time, go to church, hear God's word, receive his sacrament, and hang with fellow Christians. Christ be with you. Cross Defense is a production of KFUO Radio. Find past episodes and support Cross Defense at KFUO.org.